Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 14 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Well, Merry Christmas. This episode comes out on Christmas Day. I'm finishing it up on Christmas Eve, even though the conversation took place a couple of weeks ago. And it's Christmas time. And I hope everybody out there is getting time with their family and friends and loved ones. Uh, something we talk about in this episode a little bit is that Christmas doesn't have to be a religious celebration for those who were raised without it being a religious celebration. Sometimes it's just time to come together with friends and family and, and have moments of unity. And I wish that for every one of you out there. But it's also a time for enjoying movies, and we certainly have a wealth of Christmas movies to enjoy. And so that was this week's Friday Inquiry question, is what's your favorite Christmas story? And we got some great answers. Uh, Jeff Clark said, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Luis Ramirez uh, said, a Christmas story, even though it's been aired on TV to death. Scrooge, you'll love it, and Die Hard. Now I have a machine gun, too. Ho. Ho, ho. Adam Thomas said Scrooged, Christmas Vacation and the Ref. James Rodriguez said Muppet Christmas Carol. Luis Ramirez also chimed in with one of my favorite responses, just because of the way he used the quote. A final edition, let me say, without hope of agenda, just because it's Christmas, and at Christmas you tell the truth. To me, Love Actually is the perfect Christmas movie. And I, I love Love Actually. I love all these movies. Uh, yes, Virginia, is There is a Santa Claus is my favorite Christmas story. I had planned to share with you this week why that is, but this episode is going to run long and I'm running tight on time, so I'm going to leave that out maybe for next year. Um, love actually is fantastic. Scrooged. I just love A Christmas Carol. I, I love numerous different takes on it. Muppet Christmas Carol is probably my favorite because... Michael Caine is a perfect Ebenezer Scrooge, and it has Muppets. And uh, I have to admit, I haven't seen The Ref, and I'm not going to get involved in the fight over whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's a movie that takes place at Christmas time. If you want to watch it at Christmas time, feel free. If you don't, then don't. But I don't understand why there's been an argument over this for several years about whether it's a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. Watch it. Enjoy it. Love it. Christmas movies are our focus this week, not only because it's Christmas, but because that's the movie we're watching this week, is a, a lesser-known Christmas movie. We all know all of these movies that were mentioned, except maybe The Ref, which I definitely need to pick up on, because several people mentioned it. But we all know A Christmas Carol. We all know A Christmas Story. We all know Scrooged and Die Hard and Love Actually. We all know It's a Wonderful Life. Although I think that's more of a New Year's movie for myself, but hey, to each their own. But The Bishop's Wife is a movie that I have to admit that I was not all that familiar with. Uh, coming to us from 1947, meaning we're going back to the classic age of Hollywood, which we haven't hit in the 14 episodes so far. I hope to return there for many more movies in the future. But coming from 1947, the movie stars Cary Grant and Loretta Young and David Niven, and ended up being a really exceptional holiday movie for many reasons that we will discuss over the conversation. Bringing the movie to us this week is a very old friend of mine uh, who I met 
not through World of Warcraft, but before that, there was EverQuest, and I met her through that. Uh, the whole family. You heard uh, Jono Uber on a couple weeks ago talking about SLC Punk. Well, this is his mother, Laura Uber, who, again, has been a friend of mine for a very long time, and I know she knows movies, and like many others, she brought several options, which I'm not going to chime in on, and finally settled, especially because it was Christmas time on The Bishop's Wife. So here we go with a lengthy conversation. Uh, I will say our conversation before the movie started probably ran twice as long as you're going to hear. I snipped it down so we could get to the movie sooner. Um, lots of conversation there about the fact that she and her husband play Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus at the holiday season. Lots of conversations about how Jono in particular has reacted to that, which you're just not going to hear because it was way too long. It was a great conversation. And I mean, the Uber family, I, I love them. Every time we get together, it's like no time has passed. And we always can talk about movies because they, they have such a great knowledge of that. And you'll hear that in this week's episode. So let's get going with it. 1947's The Bishop's Wife. Yeah, so this one I had trouble finding, actually. Of all the movies I've done so far, uh, it's odd. Almost nobody picks anything that's streaming for free. Everything I've had oh, to oh, I've had dude, to rent, but I this thought it one, was on Netflix for for free. No, this one's not even available through. I think it's available on iTunes, but I don't have iTunes set up on any of my things except for my phone. So it was either get a copy from the library, and since we're in Christmas season, it was a waiting list, uh-huh. or I found it streaming online through a, a website and. But it wasn't like a, it wasn't a a daily reader or something like that, something I'm not familiar with. And every 15 to 20 minutes, it froze up and started the movie over again. I'm guessing it was running some ad script in the background or something, and that would refresh and that would try to refresh the whole page. So every 15 to 20 minutes, I was having to stop and figure out where I was in the movie and resume from there. (laughs) Oh, dude, I am so sorry because that, that just disrupts the, the, experience yeah and uh, two of the movies i've watched through uh voodoo which has commercials if you watch them for free so uh, you know i'm it wasn't that bad an experience you know having to to find my place again but it it just wasn't the smooth experience i would have liked but i had already put you off you know for a few days i didn't want to be i didn't want to have to put you off again like i can't find a copy when there's a website streaming it in in some capacity (laughs) Well, I'm I'm sorry that you had to watch it in such a manner, but uh, well, now you've seen it. Yeah. it. That's weird because I know that I had seen it on Netflix, but you know how Netflix likes to rotate their movies and it just maybe because it's the Christmas season, for some reason, that means we're going to rotate it out. I don't think they rotate things out on a whim as much as it's they're on the verge of losing the streaming rights or there's new negotiations going on for the rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is, this is a Goldwyn film and I don't know who owns the Goldwyn library right now, but I know that Netflix lost a lot of stuff with Disney plus. Oh, sure. Sure. It just gets frustrating. Everybody having their own little streaming service. Oh my goodness. I just, I just want to watch what I want to watch. Oh, it's like, I had no doubt that I was going to get Disney plus just because I'm such a Disney file. Uh huh. But I'm like the other big service, the other two big services that have been announced in the last month are 
um, Apple TV, which I, I really want to see the Ronald Moore TV series about the kind of alternate history about the space race, but I don't want to see it badly enough for that to be why I'd get Apple TV. <laughs> And then HBO Max, which frustrates me to no end because HBO already has a streaming app, and yet they're picking up streaming rights to they got they've got the streaming rights for Doctor Who, which is currently on Amazon Prime. They've got the streaming rights for Rick and Morty, so the season of that cartoon that just started isn't streaming anywhere because it will be on HBO Max when it comes out in like April. Yeah, you're, we're going to need charts to figure out who has what. And, yeah. yeah, and uh, you know it's it's becoming cable again because you're having you're just having to do it piecemeal, piecemeal. through the different providers. So instead of going to one cable provider and getting all the channels, like I cut the cord to cable uh, earlier this year, so I don't have cable. I just use streaming services. But now it's like, okay, well, if I want this, I've got to go to Amazon Prime. If I want this, I got to go to Netflix. If I want this, it'll be on HBO Max in a few months when that service comes out, which I wasn't planning on getting, but now maybe I'll have to. It's just so you just keep your internet. Yeah, I just uh, well, I I had to move. Uh, long, complicated story there. But uh, when I moved, I just moved to just pure internet service. So yeah, I just have internet. The only downside of not having cable that I've found is that I would come home from work and I would find something on the TV to have on in the background while I did other stuff like playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> yes. And now when I come home, I tend not to have anything on in the background because if I have to go through the streaming services to pick something, then usually I'm picking something that I actually want to focus on and I don't want it on while I'm doing something else. Correct. So I lose some of that background noise, but that's really the only thing I've I've lost. So is that something that you always did? You'd come home and you turn on that background, whether you're in the kitchen or whether you're in the dining room or, or wherever you would just put well, something. Pretty, yeah. I mean, the house that I was living in, the, the kitchen was right there. I mean, it, it had like a, a big window between the kitchen and the living room so, where I could see the TV from anyway. So it uh -huh. wasn't like. It wasn't like I was really in another room. I just was, you know, a couple more feet away. But yeah, I, I almost always had background noise on. And <laughs> now I don't as much, which may be a good thing. Right. Have you have you ever seen being there? I love being there. Peter Peter <laughs> Sellers. Make, yes. Does it yes. remind you a little bit of that? <laughs> it, it reminds me more Brad Ray Bradbury's um Fahrenheit four fifty one. Okay where people are constantly turning to, you know, TV as their entertainment. They even refer to them as family members and and that sort of thing. And especially the the HBO movie version they did uh, last year, it really reminds me of that that it's like, yeah, I always have entertainment on in some capacity. So <laughs> So how are you guys doing? How how I'm surprised you have a free night to record with me this time of year. I know. Well, generally, Michael is the busier of us two because in this diminished economy, people don't want to fork over for Mrs. Claus. Oh. <laughs> uh, so how did – because I feel like this happened in between – and admittedly, our visits are few and, and far between, but I felt like I this happened in between visits that I visited and Michael was all about pirates. Yeah. And then the next time I saw you guys – 
It was Santa Claus. It was Santa Claus. And oh, let me tell you, I don't know how much you talked to Jonathan before or after. the. the Not t- a ton because we both were on tight schedule, unfortunately. Okay. So For him, Jonathan hates with a passion the fact that his father is Santa Claus. Oh, God. <laughs> he dislikes Christmas. He loved that his dad was a pirate. And now his pirate dad has become Santa Claus. Michael had surgery on his shoulder. And when he had surgery on his shoulder in 2011, so that's how long he's been doing this, he could not raise his hands above his shoulders. So he did not shave. And this white beard came in. So now he has this white beard and somebody at our church, it was coming on, on towards Christmas time. It was probably about, eh, honestly, it was probably about September. And we were contacted by somebody who did Santa Claus. And he said, you know, I'm not going to be able to do Santa for the church this year. And I know they have a big event coming up. You should do it. And Michael Lowe's always loved kids. So he kind of went, you know what? I think, I think I'll give it a try. And so I made a I stepped out and I made him this nice Santa suit and I made myself a Mrs. Claus suit. And after that first time of doing it for, oh my gosh, hundreds of kids, that first time, it it just, it was like a fire was lit in his brain. And it was almost like that was what he had always been meant to do. If he could do it and we could survive on the income year round, that's what he would do. <laughs> I mean, he he ha- he is signed up with um, hospice, so there are times where he does get out the suit, and it's the middle of the year. You know, if there's a um, he he had a woman who was not going to survive to Christmas time, and she wanted to have a Christmas party, and so he you know he went and he had, and he tried to stay upbeat. You know, he's Santa Claus, and then it's not until he leaves that you let the enormity of what that was get to you. Right. And he hasn't had to do a child yet. The, and, oh, thank and, goodness. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, just just the stresses. He's, he's also got a, a group of men that they do a Bible study together. And he had one year where he lost one of his Bible study guys. He died right in the Christmas season. It was like December 10th. And all of a sudden, this man passed away. And so Michael was mourning the man that that he had known for so long. And then he'd have to turn around and be happy for these parties. It was really a tough season. I'm sure. Well, you picked a Christmas mo- movie for us uh, just in time for the season here. And, and uh, I'm sorry. I know you may not want to play it before Christmas, but... It, I was just in that mood. No, this is fantastic. So we're talking about The Bishop's Wife from 1947, making this the earliest we've gone as far as films, uh, directed by Henry Coster, written by Robert E. Sherwood, Leonardo Bercovici, based on a novel by Robert Nathan with uncredited rewrites by Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett. Yeah, course, Billy Wilder. <laughs> I know, and you can feel his touch in this, but uh, we'll get into that in a second. Starring Cary Grant, Loretta Young, and David Niven. Hollywood, California, and the studios where the distinguished pictures that bear the name of Samuel Goldwyn are produced. Such films as The Best Years of Our Lives, winner of nine Academy Awards. It was in these very studios that we recently tried to make a trailer for a new and wonderful picture called The Bishop's Wife. You know what a trailer is. 
One of those little films you see at your theater which shows you scenes from some big picture that's coming soon. Well, we made the big picture, and it's on its way. But something happened to the little one. It was on the day we finished all work on The Bishop's Wife. The stars were on their way home. Looks like it. Goodbye, Gary. It's wonderful working with you. Goodbye, David. See you very soon. Very soon, I hope. Bye, David. See you tonight. Oh, that's right. Whoa! What about the trailer? Trailer? Oh, I forgot all about it. Well, they must be set up somewhere. Where are they? Day six. No, I think they're on eight, David. Eight? Oh, come on. Just a minute, folks. I'm sorry. Can't go in without a pass. Oh, well, uh, you see, we work here. That is, we just finished over there, now we... All have... right, so you're finished. There's no one stopping you from leaving. But you don't understand, we still have to make the trailer. Well, I'm sure you wouldn't want to stop us from telling people about a great picture like The Bishop's Wife. Have you seen it? Well, no, not exactly, but... Then how do you know it's great? Well, we... we had a lot of fun making it, and that's always a very good sign. Well, look, uh, maybe so, but I'm new here. I don't know you folks, unless you've got a pass on it. I'm David Niven, and I play the bishop. And I'm Loretta Young, and I play the bishop's wife. And I'm Cary Grant, I play... Uh, ah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, wait a minute. <clears throat> What's the matter? Nobody's supposed to know what part I play until they see the picture. Right. And what do you need of the trailer? Well, we'd like folks to come in and see the picture. It's very fine. And it's quite the most unusual picture Sam Goldwyn has ever made. Oh, yeah, it's full of surprises. <laughs> oh, please. Well, if you put it that way. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> I've got an idea. What? Well, the bishop's wife is different. Let's keep it that way. Let's have no trailer. Oh, David, a picture without a trailer? No, that's it. Why take all the wonderful surprises out of it before people see it? All right, so, no trailer. No, no trailer. trailer. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, no. So, yes, yeah, so that's a unique trailer. <laughs> yeah, it says nothing about the film. Yeah. But it's it's almost like keep the secret. You know, there's there's been those movies where it's like keep the secret. Yeah. In 1947, keep the secret, which I guess was probably easier to do because you didn't have the internet. You didn't have reporting on things, but at the same time, the secret that they want to keep that we're definitely going to spoil here is revealed in the first five minutes of the movie. It it is. And it isn't. I mean, you could see that there's something very special about him, but what is it exactly? But yes, there's definitely some kind of magic happening here. Yeah. So before we get to talking about the movie, I had not even heard of this movie when you brought it up, which is funny because I'm, I love Cary Grant. How do you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it? How do you sell them on it? Okay. Well, as I, as I said, I, I, I grew up with a Christian faith. So when I'm describing this movie, because there's so many wonderful Christmas movies, but most of them are comedies, you know, or, or silly. And I say, this is the kind of movie that Hollywood does not make anymore with a Christian message that sometimes we need to hear. I mean, Christmas is the, I mean, we're really, generally we are celebrating Christ's birth. And this movie encompasses that message so well. And it's a Christmas movie that is specific to the actual celebration that we are doing. See, that's really interesting that you describe it that way, because one of the first notes I made while I was watching it, uh, one of the first scenes is when she, uh, uh, the, the bishop's wife, when Julia runs into the professor and she comments on him having a Christmas tree, even though he's not a religious person. And, and that's me. Like I grew up, I was not raised in the Christian faith. I was raised in a, in an Eastern religion actually. 
And I, I have never considered myself Christian at this point. I, I'm at best agnostic. And yet I still participate in Christmas as a time of friendship and company and unity. And, and so the, I mean, it just reminded me of my own childhood of not that I've I'm ignorant to the real meaning of Christmas or, you know, the original Christmas story or, or that kind of thing, but that wasn't something that directly impacted me. And yet celebrating Christmas still had a purpose. Sure. I mean, even if nothing else to make sure on this, on this time at this, that no one goes hungry, that no one is cold, that you, that you take care of your neighbor, even if it has nothing to do with faith, that you, you basic human kindness is extended to people. Which really is kind of the important theme throughout this movie. Yes. So, and, I mean, when you get down to it, that's, that's the ultimate goal of the story is pointing that out kindness sure. yes yes and and he he shows such a wonderful kindness to everyone that he comes across dudley yes dudley yeah. does yeah I, I i i commented that everybody is so um charmed by dudley when he well, from the moment <laughs> And that's and that was my the second part of my comment was I mean from the moment Cary Grant appears in the the first scene, everyone he encounters is so charmed by him, and yet I almost feel like that's what life was like being Cary Grant as well. That it, it may have been, yeah. So but, yeah, but but even I mean even the the blind man that he helps across the street who can't see him, it's just the warmth of this man. Oh, you know, I have hope. And off he goes. You know, I just, I'm sorry. There's so many moments. And that's a comedic moment too, that the car, he doesn't actually wait for the cars to stop. He just (laughs) has faith that the cars will stop for them as he helps the blind man across the street. Well, he has faith or he has help. True. (laughs) When when Sylvester is, has his little episode where, oh, did you see how I did? Uh, That is Sylvester being saved by Dudley. Honestly, Sylvester was not looking where he was going. They almost had a wreck and it was Dudley's intervention that kept them from having a problem. So, you know, I mean, Dudley may be walking with a host of angels that we do not see that are stopping those cars. But yes, the stopping cars, because of course, the blind man's not going to react to that, but the professor certainly does. Yeah. So we have Dudley appear in the first scene and there is something about him. The other thing that I wrote down is this had a very Mary Poppins feel, this stranger <laughs> with kind of an air of of mischief and magic to him uh, to, to do something. And in this case, everybody is charmed by him, but he's immediately charmed by this woman who we eventually find out is the, the titular bishop's wife, Julia. And that the reason Dudley is there is because the bishop has – prayed for help for guidance yes right yes and what he's i i find that scene really interesting as well when we first meet the bishop uh we 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 learn that he has kind of turned his back on this small tiny church that he was originally over saint timothy's saint timothy's and he's really focused on building this new cathedral 
And when he prays for help, he he prays at the painting of what this cathedral should be. That's his altar. Isn't that sad? But it's true. And and it's is who is who is this altar to? Who is this beautiful edifice? Is this something that you're trying to have built for God, or is this something you're having to build so that you are in this magnificent edifice and up in this fine pulpit and preaching at more people? Yeah, and it would be very easy to to be angry with David Niven or David Niven's character at that point. I mean, it is kind of subtle on screen that he's praying to the picture of the cathedral, but at the same time, you get the feeling that this is a man conflicted, that he does want it as a testament to the greatness of God, and yet he's being pushed by uh, Ms. Hamilton to do it in memory of her husband, that she she doesn't care about God. She wants it as a tribute to her husband. Well- Yes, she does say it won't be built without it being built my way. Right. But I still feel that he is he is somebody who has lost his way. He's in this vision. He's lost his his path that maybe he was originally on. I mean, when you're a, a first a, a pastor, you're certainly not set up in this magnificent church. And I think he's lost his way thinking that that he needs that that the people need this huge thing in order to find God better. They don't. Right. Well, and what I loved about Niven's performance here is, again, if he had played it differently, it would be very easy to be angry with him for being so materialistic. But he doesn't feel materialistic. He feels downtrodden. He feels beaten down by the world. Uh, it doesn't feel like he's intentionally neglecting his wife. He just is so overwhelmed with trying to find what the right thing is to do and try to do that, that he's lost track of what's important. Yes. And I think that is something that was, that David Niven himself could bring to this role. I I don't know if it's okay for me to bring up behind the scenes trivia. Yeah, absolutely. But from, from my, what I know about the movie and what I've looked up and understood about the making of it was that originally Cary Grant was the bishop. David Niven was the angel. Yeah. It was originally started under another director. uh, Uh, William Snyder. With with that casting as Cary Grant as the bishop and David Niven playing the angel. And the studio came in and saw what had been done and to the cost of over $900,000 made them stop fired the director and started things over again. And one of the things that they changed were those roles. And there's different versions of the story as to whether that was Grant's idea or Grant was not happy at the idea of changing roles. But I think the final product is much better. I can't imagine Grant playing the Bishop in the same, with the same depth that Niven does. Right. Right. And I think that it it sounds weird, but I think that that somberness, that, that lost, that Niven brings to this role, he was going through such a dark period in his own life that he could infuse that into the role. And I think that he would not have been able to bring that charming wonderfulness that Dudley is supposed to have because he just wasn't in that place. 
His yeah. his wife had died in a tragic accident just the previous year. He's the single father of two young children. And I don't think and and it's it said that he did not interact with the children on the set. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. Whereas Cary Grant was always with the children because he'd always wanted children himself. Right. And so it just worked out that and I it, what I heard was that it was Goldwyn. He looked at it and he was like, this is a big mistake. And he, because ultimately he's the one that paid that bill. Right. He's the one that said, I will pay that bill to switch these roles because then it will be right. And, yeah. And, and I, and it would definitely was the right move. I mean, Cary Grant is perfect as Dudley and David Niven carries the weight of the role of the bishop just fantastically. And that's, that's definitely by no means to any discredit to Loretta Young, who is also fantastic in the movie, but the two male leads, because there was the possibility of them being reversed, it's it's definitely to, to focus on those. They they they're wonderfully done the way they are. And and we talk about how just I'm sorry, Cary Grant, gorgeous and and such a wonderful comedic actor and later charming, you know, with his whole Alfred Hitchcock thing. But I, like you, I, I rewatched it. I saw it and I was amazed at the choice that the director Coster made filming this movie fully. I, I would say at least one third of this movie, Cary Grant is shot the back of his head. You don't even mm. see his face. Mm-hmm. There's, there's complete scenes where you don't see his face. You see everybody else's face and not his. And you would think, my gosh, you're wasting Cary Grant's face. But it's very effective. It's almost just enough to be Cary Grant's presence. Yes. Yes. And again, so, it's kind of hard to – it's almost hard to disting, distinguish is that because it's this angelic character or is it because Cary Grant himself was – uh, pretty amazing. I mean, there's there's the old story about you know everybody wanting somebody telling Cary Grant, you know, everybody in Hollywood wants to be Cary Grant, and Grant replying, "Well, I would like to be too." You know <laughs> that that the stories uh, excelled who he really was. Right. Well, and everybody uses that clip from I think it's Charade with Audrey Hepburn, where she goes, "You know what's wrong with you?" And he's like, "What?" And she goes, "Nothing." <laughs> I think there's so many people who feel that way about him. I've always been a Cary Grant fan. Always oh yeah, been. I I love Cary. That's why I'm again I'm surprised I had not heard of of this movie. So so why? And probably you answered it in how you would explain this to people. But but why did you pick out of all the movies that are out there? And one, thank you for picking something more classic because I had when I started this podcast, I'd hoped to be getting more in, into classic movies, and and this is really the first kind of diving into that 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 era. But why pick The Bishop's Wife? Because Everyone knows a Christmas story. Everyone knows Miracle on 34th Street. And please watch the Edmund Gwynn with Natalie Wood, not the others. Ugh. Um, but everybody knows I have knows never those. seen Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, dude. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, just stab me in the heart. I mean, or um, Christmas Vacation. And they're all wonderful. But this one is like a hidden gem that people don't know about. It, and I was surprised, actually, I got the newspaper and you open the little parade section in the in the middle and they said, here's 15 Christmas movies you should see this year. And number four was The Bishop's Wife. I had never seen it recommended by anybody before. Mm-hmm. I, I love this movie, A, Cary Grant, but B, this was near and dear to uh, my mother. 
and she she kind of instilled that love of classic movies in me and then i in turn instilled it in jono um and and that's why i picked this because for me it's not christmas unless until i see this at least once well i'm definitely it's- adding it to my christmas rotation uh, i mean i just I was I was floored by it. I mean, it's it is it really is worth hunting down if you've not seen it. I'm so glad that you could say that, even though you, we come from different backgrounds as far as how we were raised. I'm 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 really glad that you enjoyed it. Well, it's quite popular. Um, although finding reviews for movies this old is quite challenging. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, it currently sits at 83 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty it, good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it won the Oscar for Best Sound the year that it, so 1948. It won the Oscar for Best Sound. It was also nominated for Best Picture, for Best Director, for Film Editing, and for Score. Uh, two things of note: uh, Loretta Young wasn't nominated for this. None of the actors were, but she won the Oscar that year for The Farmer's Daughter, and it was uh-huh. beaten in both Best Director and Best Picture. By Gentleman's Agreement, Elia Kazan wins Best Director, and Gentleman's Agreement wins Best Picture over this one. Yeah, and it's also it was released the same year as Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Well, so, and it also it, features two of the cast of uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, isn't that wonderful, Zuzu? The, Zuzu, the little girl, the daughter in this is Zuzu, uh-huh. and then the leader of the boys when they're having the snowball fight is young George Bailey. Young George Bailey, yes, and uh, Gladys. She she wasn't in a Christmas movie, but she pops up in several movies too. Oh yeah, oh, she yeah. was in the Song of Bernadette. Ugh. So the the one review I was able to pull up, interestingly, the negative reviews uh, for this are all uh, either just tiny little snippets where the critic didn't go into any depth whatsoever and therefore they're not worth really looking at, or they're dead links. So pulling in a a negative review was really challenging. Uh, Entertainment Weekly, Karen Weiner Campbell wrote the Capra-esque original follows Grant's charismatic Dudley as he reunites an ambitious clergyman, a worn looking David Niven with his neglected spouse, a luminous Loretta Young Dudley executes his good deeds with such relaxed, good cheer incandescent charm and beautifully toothy smiles that he captivates everyone in town, not to mention anybody watching the movie. Grant's turn is thoroughly convincing because he himself appears to be having a terrific time. He's expansive, graceful, and always seems on the verge of chucking with goodwill. So, and that kind of goes <laughs> to what you were saying as far as like, you know, how Grant was on the set as far as like playing with the kids and just, I mean, he just always seems such a jovial fo- fellow. Yes. Yes. He really does. Uh, I mean, by all accounts of what I've read for, about him, he was. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had he had a tough childhood, really tough, uh, and went through a lot trying to overcome that. And I think he did a good job. Yeah. Now you, we we've been I've been saying how um, you know that it does have a Christmas message to it, and they were afraid. I mean, it didn't do great when it was released because people thought it was too religious. You know, oh, it's so they changed the title for some markets to Carrie and the Bishop's Wife. Yes. <laughs> and it increased its market by in some places up to 25%. That's big. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I, I, and I mean, we see that kind of thing today. Uh, you know, they don't they don't include the actor's name necessarily in the movie title like that. But you know, there are movies that people go and see because you know Bradley Cooper is in it, or Kristen Stewart is in it, or or such. You know that the, the star power is everything, and and pre-internet, pre-huge media blitz, that was a good way of getting the word out that Cary Grant was in this. Just go ahead That's and put it. his name in the title. There you go. <laughs> hey, everybody likes Cary. <laughs> yeah. And I need to find out what he's doing with a bishop's wife. <laughs> well, and let's talk about that, I guess, because that that part of the movie almost gets awkward at times. That, as I said, from the moment that Cary Grant steps on screen, everybody he encounters is smitten by him. But the second he sees Loretta Young, he's quite taken by her. Like he even he even does a double take when he sees her picture in uh, the bishop's office. He he does well. I yes, he does. And I mean, he's an angel. He does have a line in there about the, no wings at the moment. Which I almost wondered if that was going to go somewhere, <laughs> kind of like, you know, Clarence hasn't Clarence. earned his wings yet. So is that kind of this kind of, but they never follow that up. But especially towards the end of the film, one gets the sense that there is a, a genuine attraction between him and Julia. I would agree that, yes, he finds her entrancing. She, she is a, a very endearing character but i don't believe that she returns that it, well no because she, once he when he expresses that she sends him packing she does she does and i and couldn't he, tell is is that a do you think that's a test to her or do you think that dudley genuinely was interested in her and kind of lost his path for a moment i would i would agree with that one that he got distracted that he found himself and he says this that when when he finds himself envying the person he has sent been sent to help because uh, i mean who wouldn't look back at i mean i get the impression that he's an angel and that he had a past and he can see this wonderful woman who has this beautiful child and he even though he's an angel can be envious of this wonderful little family life Yes, he envies the bishop, and he realizes that he can't stay because that's not right. He's got his job to do. The bishop has his family, and the, the bishop has his destiny to fulfill. I don't think it was a test. I think it was a weakness of deadlies. I don't think that Julia is being tested. That's interesting to me because – and don't get me wrong. I liked, I liked the movie quite a bit, as I said – but for a movie that kind of, as you pointed out, is built on a very religious foundation, this is literally coveting thy neighbor's wife. It is, yeah. From an angel. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I mean, the, it, it, I think that they they put other aspects. In. The professor, I mean, that's a that's a fairly big character who has no religious affiliation, and they're not trying to convert him. No, it, 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 they they leave him alone. He's happy the way he is. He celebrates Christmas, but not religiously. And it, it's not like they're on his doorstep saying, "You know, we need to talk to you about Christmas again." And the movie is 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 good enough to 
say, this is how he sees Christmas and how he lives his life. And this is how the bishop and the, and they could still be friends. I like that message, you know, live and let live. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The professor played by Monty Woolley and, and he is fantastic in the scenes that he's in. He's he's unapologetic for the way that he is. I specifically love his diatribe about why he hasn't written his big paper yet. Once I was madly in love with a girl. My friends, she was a vision of delight, a pure enchantress. You never told me about that. No, that's just the trouble. I never told her about it either. I couldn't find the words. So, she married an athlete, a great hulking oaf who never even reached the eighth grade. But he knew how to say, I love you. Same trouble with my book. Can't find the word. And it, 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 there was a meme I saw earlier today about it, it takes 10 minutes to do the thing that I've been putting off for six months. <laughs> Oh man, that strikes my heart as a procrastinator. <laughs> well, right. For one, that was like, oh, geez, that's me. But on the other hand, having just watched this movie, that's the professor. Once he's yeah. finally given that inspiration by Dudley, the next time you see him, he's you know been pounding out the pages. Yeah, it, and and that was always in him. Right. Dudley he just, just helped inspire spark. it. Yeah, he that's didn't. It. I mean. Dudley didn't do anything to change stuff. He just, yeah, as you said, he just needed that spark. But that I got to ask what you thought of the scene with the sherry. I love that oh my. scene. <laughs> I I loved that. That's first of all because Wooly does such great comedic, you know, double takes at the the refilling glass. But then the follow up to that scene when the bishop henry visits him and he's like oh you've got to see this and shows him the bottle that doesn't empty and there's nothing religious about that there's no you know he he makes the comment that it's a miracle but you don't really think of it in the religious sense it's kind of just that explanation of the unbelievable the un the difficult to the believe ordinary. right yeah. and and yet uh i mean yet it it literally is a miracle happening for him and I just I loved his I loved the actor's response throughout that scene. Oh, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> but even though it, what I find interesting, as you said, there's no attempt to convert him. There's no pressure on him. There's none of that. He he's literally in the presence of an angel. He's inspired by that angel. But at no point is it really revealed to him that that's you know what Dudley is, other than he he comes to that conclusion himself. But then he has an angel on his Christmas tree a little later in the in the film. Well, when they arrive, he has the angel on his Christmas tree. Well, true. Okay, that's right. That's that's I'm getting my scenes out of order. Right. You are. But they do end the movie with him going into church. But that could just be that that that's a time of year where you go to be with everybody and to Right, that sense of unity that I talked about earlier. Yes, yes. So and it could just be habit. You know, this is what I do. This is where all the people are. This is where I'll go. And that makes sense because we find out, I mean, he tells us in that first scene where he's buying the Christmas tree that this has been like a 20-year argument that he has with the guy selling the trees. <laughs> Ten cents a branch. Right. 
So they go through this every every ten every year. They've been doing this for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, I said it would be a hoot if there were more branches on there and it cost him more money. <laughs> I was waiting for the amount to be the exact same based on 10 cents per branch. That that would have been the perfect punchline to me. Uh the other character that I really liked you brought up a little while ago is the taxi driver, Sylvester. Sylvester, yes. <laughs> um, who also uh, creates, you know, the James most awkward Gleason. moment. Yeah, who creates the most awkward <laughs> moment in the movie. Uh, is there going to be another party? Oh, there's going to be a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this is the bishop. Oh, you're going to get married. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. As the audience <laughs> member, I was just cringing in my seat. Like, no, they're... No. Dude, you, you misread the situation. Sylvester. Oh, hello, Julia. Hello, what are you doing here? Well, I've been waiting around here for about an hour, hoping to be another skating party, and I didn't want to miss it. Where's Dudley? Oh, you got a preacher with you. Uh, is this, this Oh, I know. There's going to be a wedding ceremony. You and Dudley. Sylvester, this is my husband, Bishop Brown. How do you do? Oh. Oh. <laughs> but again, it as I said, it is kind of a, a creepy element to the film, especially as Dudley kind of goes a little too far with it. I almost shudder to think what they would do with that storyline today. They made it. Well, recently. I know I know they did a remake in um 1996. Yeah. Uh, it was remade in 1996 as The Preacher's Wife by Penny Marshall of all people. I know. With sad, Denzel sad Washington, thing. Whitney Houston, and Courtney B. Vance playing the lead three roles. Correct. And I've not seen that. That's okay. <laughs> Is it have you seen it? I, I because I, I so love the original that it's it's one of those things where how could they remake that? And I'm sure for people who have not the history that I have with the original that it was fine. Yes, I've seen it. And the things they they chose to change, I just, mm, I didn't care for it because, you know, I, I'm so attached to the original. Yeah. I, I mean, e- even the, the, the scene, you talk about uh, Dudley and, and his envying the bishop and, and he, he does, he, he's making a point though, because he does say to the bishop specifically, you could have sent me to represent you with Mrs. Hamilton. Right. But you wouldn't. So I represented you with, with your, your wife. wife. So he's really trying to lead the bishop to see just how far off track he's coming. He really has abandoned his family mm-hmm. in this, you know, just sole focus that he's got on this church. And and I think it took a lot to wake that the bishop up, even though at the end of the movie nobody remembers anything. That it was effective, you know. He even went so far as to when when uh, the bishop tried to leave Mrs. Hamilton, had given up his values, had uh, essentially given in to this woman. The the Dudley, even from where he was, made sure, no, that's not going to happen, and stuck him to a chair. <laughs> Which, by the way, I love that because, because the David Niven I know is not this downtrodden person 
you know, that you see in this movie, which I think is part of why I'm so struck by how brilliant his performance is here. And uh, you pointed out he had some real life tragedy going on that affected that. But the David Niven I know is, you know, the Pink Panther or, <laughs> uh, you know, th- those kind of physical slapstick comedy roles that he's most known for. So I loved the fact that he got a scene with that kind of comedy in this movie with the chair. <laughs> It just makes me wonder how they did it. <laughs> I loved it. It cracked me up. So, uh, all right. So I, I have to admit, while I was watching the movie, uh, especially as it, it, it got later on in the film, I did start thinking about remakes and not, not, I didn't realize that they had remade it as the preacher's wife in the nineties. Who would you cast as the lead three if it was remade today? Oh my gosh. That's really tough. I don't know that I have an answer for that. I, I wish I could be witty and 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 come up with some just brilliant idea, but I'm drawing a blank. Oh, did you have an idea that, that you thought would? The first one that came to mind is I would love to see Ewan McGregor play Dudley. Uh, I think he does have that uh, twinkle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, he does. And and then for some reason I would like to see Hugh Laurie playing the bishop, <laughs> because as brilliant a comedic actor as Hugh Laurie is, he's also can do that. He can do angry as we saw with House, but he also had moments in House where he was he was beaten down by everything that was going on, and I think he could really capture that same essence that David Niven had in the in the role. Yeah, I, those those are awesome. I like it. I like it. But but I don't want to see a remake. So that's the important thing. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think since they did it and The Preacher's Wife, I mean, at the time, I think Whitney was was fairly, you know, big. It, it, I'm not sure of the year, but it was probably right around Bodyguard time. Yeah, it came it, out that, in 96 and Bodyguard was like 92. So, yeah, it was she was still riding high on that. Right. And I think if if it, that didn't do well, I don't think they'll, they'll go that root again which yeah. is good it's fine with me yeah no i this is one of those movies that i don't think should be remade and it's funny how many of those classic era movies i see there, there are some that i see and i feel like boy it would be interesting to see a contemporary remake of this movie and th- this just isn't one of them right it, it hands off there's a couple of them where you just go to, it, you know it it was done fine leave it alone So a couple of lines of dialogue that stood out to me. Dudley says before he goes for his confrontation with Mrs. Hamilton, which, by the way, plays out very, very different than I expected it to. I had written down in my notes, Angel versus Hamilton. And then the way that's dealt with is very interesting. But he he says the line, sometimes angels must rush in where fools dare not tread. And who does he say that to? Does he say that to to the bishop, to Henry? That I didn't write down. I think I don't think so. Mm, I wonder. It might have it might have been in the office when they were in his office. I think he says it to like the the maid or something. I don't think he says it to because he sent no because he's already sent he's already sent Henry and Julia out for their rounds. I mean, I I remember him saying the line. I just can't place where he was when he said it but it's it's a great line yeah sorry it made me think of matilda i don't know why she's just such such a cute little presence throughout the house 
and and you can sense her hurt. I, I, it's off track. Her hurt with the scarf that I mean, I think that she she picked this out for the the bishop, um, thinking you know it's something that he needs, and he never touched it. And right. so from then on, we keep seeing Dudley in it. And I just love that then it's, it's so important to the bishop that, you know, he keeps seeing it on Dudley and it's an, ins- it's insulting to him. It wasn't good enough for you for the whole time it was in the closet, but now you want it. And, and of- that, I was waiting for some payoff on that as well, because they do make a big deal about it belonging to the bishop. And then the next two or three times the bishop sees it on Dudley, he makes a point of like pointing to it. Or at one point he, he like straightens it up, but gives him a weird look like this is, this isn't yours. This is mine. And it never really, it's a, it's a subtle element of the film again. Well, maybe in a li- little bit, it's sort of the, if he could take your scarf. Yeah. Maybe he could take your wife. Yeah, that's 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 true. But, you know, the professor did have a good point. You know, she's flesh and blood. Henry yeah. is flesh and blood. Yeah. So, he does have the advantage, but as we said, he'd lost his way. Yeah. Um Dudley says uh the world re- changes but two things remain constant, youth and beauty. And he says that to Julia, and Julia says, uh, the, pro- the trouble is people grow old. And Dudley says, not everybody. The only people who grow old were born old to begin with. What do you think about that? That, that line? Yeah, that, con- um, that idea about the people who grow old were born old to begin with. I do believe that um, you can always be young at heart. Because, I mean, honestly, I married Peter Pan. You know, I, I mean, I I live with an example of that. My my husband has the heart of a child, and it's it's wonderful and beautiful. And in that way, he will always be young. So yeah, that for me, that line resonates because of my my marriage. Yeah, I think that somebody can be old before their time or mature before their time because they take on all the responsibilities of of the world. Well, and I, and I have to admit that you two came to mind when I heard that line, because it's like, here is a couple that is, you know, slightly older than me, but they are Santa and Mrs. Claus every year. You know, that's not being born old by any means. <laughs> no, no. He, he has the heart of a child and he brings me along on that ride. And it's, it's a, it's a wonderful ride. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's it's a great gig. I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how many young people do that. You know, they they wear the wigs, they wear what they need to wear, and they do a great job. So the other thing that I I had specifically noted to discuss, and it's another negative, I guess, for the picture, but the scene where Dudley and and Julia go. They're on the taxi ride and they get out to go ice skating. <laughs> this one's a negative? Okay. Because there, there's no way anybody was convinced that that skating double was actually Cary Grant. No. I mean, no, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even look close. No. I mean, it's, it is a mask of his face. And apparently he was quite upset. I mean, Cary was an acrobat. He was an right. acrobat as a as a teenager, and he had the physicality to do a lot of 
uh, slapstick and, and, and you could tell that he's comfortable on skates. I don't know that he's comfortable enough to do what they have Dudley do, but I do know that he did not, he did himself did not like that part of the scene either. Yeah. And it was, it, it was like the one moment of the movie where I was like, where I, where I had any kind of negative thought because it was like, no, that's, that's not Cary Grant doing those stunts. And there's no way they were fooled in the forties either. There's just no way. Well, maybe, maybe they, they were willing to suspend disbelief because they weren't exposed to the CGI and such that, that we are. But I, I think I have to give that to you and, and people would say, gee, that's, that's, cool for the story but that ain't Cary Grant <laughs> that's not Loretta Young <laughs> well and I guess along the same lines you know that's not Cary Grant playing the harp no later it's on. not no and they pull that off they they do um at one point I always felt like they had his his head to you know the size a little off but on the whole, it's very well done. And there are parts of it where he is just kind of where you do the big strumming. Right. You know, I mean, it could, it looks so dramatic and it's a harp for goodness sake. He's an angel. <laughs> right. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. And I kind of referenced it a minute ago, but without going into it, but I really enjoyed kind of that, that resolution to the film's central conflict, this idea of, Mrs. Hamilton wanting to call the shots. And the only way she's giving the money for the cathedral is if it's done her way. And it, it could have been another, it's a wonderful life kind of resolution of, you know, the the conflict between George and Potter is never really dealt with because Potter is just evil and there's, there's no redemption for him. And here instead of there being a real conflict headbutting, Dudley manages to find her softer side and find out who she really is as a person and uh, relate to that, appeal to that, I think appeal is the better to that, way to put right. it. And, and that feels, you know, when, when this movie is done, there's not going to be a, the cathedral that was at the heart of the issue because it was the issue. But you really feel like Henry and Julia are going to be okay, and or not okay. They're going to be happy. And at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, Potter is still a threat. There is no promise that Potter isn't going to continue to cause problems for George Bailey down the line. And it's great that you know no man is truly alone who has friends and that Bailey has friends, but that doesn't resolve the conflict at the heart of the story. Right. And, and Potter even profits – I mean, he he's he's eight thousand dollars ahead, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, this, I just I found this a much more, and I love it's a wonderful life. I mean, and it I, I, it's one that I do tend to watch every year, and that that final scene brings me to tears every year. That that idea that no man is truly alone who has friends, I love that. But I found this a lot more, it, a lot more comforting. It was more, it felt like a resolution as opposed to that movie. I like it. I like it. Because I, I think you, you're right. He, he comes in contact with so many people and Julie and Henry and Debbie, their daughter, they're going to be okay. They're going to be a, a close family again. And even St. Timothy's is going to be okay. I right, mean, absolutely. In, in my, in my mind, they're, they're not going to have all these people donating to this 
cathedral that's not going to happen. And St. Timothy's will be renewed because that's where, and, and the people love that parish and it already serves its congregation. And so. And, and unlike it's a wonderful life. And I don't know why I'm drawing comparison between the two, but it just, just I I guess just feels makes sense. But unlike it's a wonderful life, they don't know why it just clicks for them because they have no memory of Dudley's ever being there. Whereas George Bailey will always know that he was set on the right path by Clarence. Right. He'll even, and he'll never forget because he'll always have that book. He'll always have physical proof that this happened. He can't convince himself this was a dream. This was no dream. I have a book, you know, I have his signature and yet Dudley does his, what he was sent to do. And then, disappears and his memory disappears and it's just the good work that he did that's left behind. And again, there's something a little more satisfying about that to me. Yeah. So I I find it I find it really weird that this movie is not out there more. I mean, it was nominated for 5 Academy Awards and it won one of them, and yet I would be hard pressed to find many people who knew about this one where they do know about Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life or or many of the other Christmas classics. This this deserves a better treatment. Thank you. Yes. That's why we're here on the podcast. You need to see this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Even I mean for me, I know that I enjoy the the religious message behind it, but that's not needed to enjoy the movie. It's yeah, a wonderful, no, it, fun movie, regardless. It works on on different levels in that regard. And, and to me, that's an important aspect. Yes. All right. The algorithm says oh. these are <laughs> other movies that you uh, um, will like. <laughs> I'm already I'm already panicking just like Jono. <laughs> no, yours yours is pretty straightforward. But these are these are other movies the algorithms various algorithms say you might like based on liking The Bishop's Wife. Uh, this is kind of a lightning round of responses. What do you think? Do you like these movies? Do you not like these movies? Do you not understand why they're paired with The Bishop's Wife? So, uh, and again, these are pretty straightforward uh christmas in connecticut oh sure barbara stanwick yes which even though she's not in the bishop's wife she's very prevalent in this list because you have her there and then remember the night i don't know that movie it's also barbara stanwick is it really yeah she's Um, such a fierce lady too she's awesome yeah um Remember the night. I'll have to yeah, make Yeah, a shoplifter and her prosecutor fall in love, creating tensions for his career and family. Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. Ooh. Yeah, right? Yeah. The shop around the corner. Oh, gosh. Jimmy Stewart. That's right. Yes, I've seen it. And of course, it remade even as recently as You've Got Mail. Yeah, excellent movie. I love it. Holiday Affair. Hmm. Robert Mitchum and Janet Lee have not seen. Okay. Holiday Inn. Oh yeah. Okay. Holiday Inn, the Bing Crosby. Right. right? One of the iconic Christmas movies. Right. Sure. Sure. And it, I mean, it, it, that, I remember the first time I saw it, it's this iconic Christmas movie and so much of it is not about Christmas. I mean, it just ends at Christmas. Right. 
I had it, only seen that a couple of years ago, and yeah, that was I was very surprised. It was like, how is this a it, Christmas movie? It's like an army movie, exactly, because exactly. they're in the service. But yeah, Danny Kay. Oh, I'm a big fan. Oh yeah, uh, Mr. Blandings builds his dream house. Oh, Cary Grant, I love this. Of Myrna Loy, yes, Melvin Douglas. Oh, it's such a good movie. Oh, I love. I watch that one sometimes. I go through the the TCM calendar and I see what's coming up that month and I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make, I'll put it on the calendar. Okay. Got to tape this one. And Mr. Blandings is absolutely fabulous. Yes. People yes. will talk. Uh, I did see that and I only saw it once and I, it was very lukewarm and I don't know if that was because of the, topic or if I don't think I liked the female lead and I don't remember who that was. I, I, I didn't um, like it. Yeah. It's another Cary Grant and I don't have it in front of me to tell you who the female lead was. Uh, and finally white Christmas. Of course. Of course. Yeah. All right. And we always end with the pop quiz. Uh, <laughs> this time the pop quiz isn't about uh, the Bishop's wife. Instead it is Cary Grant. Yay! <laughs> so here we go. Number one, Cary Grant was allegedly the model for what iconic character, a role the actor ironically turned down? A, James Bond, B, Norman Bates, C, George Bailey, or D, Superman? Oscar, I'd have to say it's Bond. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, when, <laughs> when Sean Connery was cast, that was uh, in Fleming's response, is that's not, that's not Cary Grant. He was not happy with Sean Connery's casting. Yeah. And Christopher Reeve said he based his portrayal of Clark Kent on Cary Grant in during his Superman movies. I hadn't heard that quote, but it's a fine model to follow. Oh, yeah. Number two, which movie did Grant claim came the closest to capturing his actual personality? (laughs) Father Goose. Father Goose. Yeah. His last picture. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't think it was his last picture. I think Walk Don't Run was his last picture. Oh, correct. You're right. You're right. It came two years later. I, I forgot about Father that. Goose, but it's almost I, ha- his last I have one. the DVD. Uh, oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. I, I've seen Father Goose. I love that one. <laughs> All of them, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number three, Grant retired from acting after his daughter was born in order to escape the spotlight and be a doting father. How old was he when his daughter was born? He was 62. He was 62. Boy, I don't even have to give you the choices here. No, no. I saw some adorable home movies that, that they have of him playing with Jennifer and they're just fabulous. The podcast Unspooled. Uh, just, uh, it's a couple of months ago now, but they did a movie that was a Cary Grant movie and they interviewed her. Yeah. And, I mean, she's got great memories of her dad. Yeah. And it was fantastic to hear her stories about him. Yeah. I mean, I know we, I, I, personally, I think of it, oh my goodness, 62, but he, in, and being a, far, a first time father, he'd always wanted a family and it took him until he was 62. And, and yet he got what he wanted and he was done. I'm going to retire. I'm going to enjoy this child. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's and who, exactly what he did. And who wouldn't love to do that? To be Yeah, more retire. power to him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last question. In my favorite, possibly apocryphal Cary Grant story, Grant once contacted hotel, hotel mogul Conrad Hilton while staying at one of his hotels over an issue involving what? 
A, water temperature, B, dust on his headboard, C, noisy neighbors, or D, English muffins? (laughs) I haven't heard this, but... I'm going to guess English muffins. Yes. he. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard this story before. I hope to God it's true because I love it. But the story is that he once phoned uh, Conrad Hilton in Istanbul to find out why his breakfast order at the Plaza Hotel came with only one and a half English muffins instead of two. Uh, (laughs) And it, it turns out that an efficiency report found that most people only ate three of the four halves brought to them. So they started providing only three of the four halves in order to save money. And that was uh, uh, Grant's response was that you've cheated me out of half of an English muffin. (laughs) And uh, he started, he spoke of forming an English muffin lover society where members would be required to report any hotel or restaurant that listed muffins on the menu and then served fewer than two. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) All right, Laura, um, anywhere people can find you or anything you want to promote? Oh, I I don't have an online presence. Uh, I just here in Kentucky or at the North Pole. Yeah, or the North Pole. (laughs) Merry Christmas, Laura. I really appreciate you bringing this movie. It's uh, it's a great way to end the year. It's a great – and as I said, I'm going to add it to my holiday rotation. This one's fantastic. I'm so glad. that. That just makes me happy. Even if it's just you that adds it to the rotation, that makes me ecstatic. So that does it for this week, and that does it for 2019. The next time I have post a new episode, it will be the new year. So I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday week with your family, and I hope ringing in the new year is specifically wonderful for you. I also hope it's safe. I don't want to lose any listeners over the holiday, so be safe. Don't drink and drive. Be careful, that kind of thing. Uh, You can always keep the conversation going through the week through social media. You can find me at Town Hess on Twitter or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we are at Have Not Seen This Podcast or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Uh, The podcast is available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or you can use the RS feed to subscribe through whatever podcatcher you prefer. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome. And... Help spread the word, help me build up some more listeners. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Laura Huber for providing this week's conversation. Hey, maybe you have a movie you'd like to talk about, one that means something to you or you're particularly astonished when you discover people have not seen. Come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, click the Be a Future Guest button, submit the form there, and we'll get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, and until next year, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This.